Hey, what's going on? Welcome to another episode of Angular Air. I'm your host, Justin Schwarzenberger. And today's episode, we're doing a joint venture with our friends over at NG Houston. Uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about Bazel and uh, building with for our Angular apps. So let's get into it. First, let's say hi to uh, Bonnie Brennan. Bonnie, how's it going? Uh, our Great. Houston person, as well as our, our great panelists. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm great. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. Thank you for uh, integrating this episode, uh, bringing our guests over here and uh, kind of doing this shared episode with NG Houston kind of for, for the week. Yeah, I was pretty excited to have Minko on, so I figured I'd bring him up and share him with the rest of the family. Awesome. Awesome. All right, let's run down. We've got a huge list of panelists today because uh, we're doing this joint episode. So we got some people from NG Houston joining us as well as our regular panelists. So let's say hi to everybody. Uh, first off, uh, Kyler Johnson. Kyler, how's it going? Great. Super excited to be here. We are stoked to have you. Always like having new people on with us. It's great. Uh, Lance Finney is with us. Lance, how's it going? I'm doing well. Excited to be here. I've been on uh, NG Houston a few times, but first time here. So thanks for having me. Lance has been I, with me through thick and thin. Can I just say your mic sounds great, man. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Alyssa, how's it going, Alyssa? Good. Glad to be here. Awesome. Austin McDaniel's with us. Austin, how's it going? How's it going, everyone? I feel like it's been a while since we've we've seen each other, and I, I, I want the audience to know that I've, I've missed them. The panelists, not so much, but the audience. I was just about to say we missed you too, but you know what? Forget it. it it's all right. We're here for the audience, so that's that's the important thing, right? Well, Brian, you have new you have new panelists here, so maybe we'll make up for it. Yeah, yeah don't encourage. Yeah. We're supposed to abuse Austin. No, no, you know, just come on, be yourselves. You know, kind of block out the other panelists. It'll be fine. Just you know, show our, <laughs> show our guests some love, and everything everything will go swell. <laughs> Be yourself was not the advice that you gave to Austin. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's only for the new panelists. The old panelists have to follow the existing rules. No, it's important I'm, for Austin to be I, himself as well. We appreciate I, it for sure. I'm reading this book called Radical Candor. <laughs> oh, yeah, like you need more candor. Yeah, like you need that. <laughs> hey, now, hey, now, save, save it for the picks. Save it for the picks. Uh, we also got Brian Love with us. Brian, how's it going? Good. What's up, guys? And Mike Brocky, Michael Brocky, what's going on? Oh, Michael, I haven't heard that one for a while. Actually, yeah, like I don't even minutes. I don't even hear Mike or Michael at all anymore. It's just Brocky. That's how you know you're in trouble. Oh yeah, it's bad. <laughs> all right, I think that's all of our panelists. Uh, so let's say hi to our guest, our returning guest, Minko Getchev. Minko, how's it going? Hello. Uh, yeah, it is great. Today it's beautiful weather outside here in San Francisco. Nice. nice. So, you know, it's been a little minute since we've had you on. I think it was last July. So what have you been up to lately? Yeah, a lot of things changed. So last time we talked about Guest.js. Uh, back then I was building a startup. And uh, since then I decided that uh, I want to focus more on building tools for developers. So I joined Google and uh, now I'm part of the Angular team. So. Uh Yes, yes, that's awesome. Awesome. How's that going? Uh, it's a lot of fun. We're, it's, uh, it's, it's even more dynamic than I thought. A lot of things are going on constantly, and uh, I really like that. 
So, of course, out there on the uh, internet, on the interwebs, however you want to call it, on maybe on Twitter, uh, everybody seems to think that like uh, now that you're in there, you're going to be just driving all kinds of stuff. <laughs> Is that the case, or you know, are you just kind of sliding in along with everybody else? Yeah. Well, my focus currently, although I'm interested in a lot of different areas, but uh, still, you cannot get into everything because otherwise, you cannot do anything. Uh, so my focus currently is tooling and uh, web performance. Awesome, awesome. If you so think it's great. A little bit about right. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm doing a lot of things around the CLI and Bezo, and also making sure that we are building Angular applications with the defaults for making them fast enabled. Of course, this has intersection with what the core team is like, what's uh, in core is happening around Ivy and a few other things, but. Yeah, it seems like there's a, a lot of uh, performance type of stuff uh, being focused on right now. Yeah, for sure. All right, so we're going to talk Bazel today. We're going to talk about maybe building JavaScript and, and Angular apps at scale. What um, can you maybe fill us in on on what Bazel is for all our viewers who might not be familiar with that? Sure, it is a build tool. So it takes a bunch of artifacts and turns them into executables. It also can run your tests, Bezo can run your dev server, uh, but well, what we're using it mostly inside of Google, the internal version called Blaze is to build basically our entire software. And that's that's kind of a lot of source code. I, I knew that this is a lot of source code before I joined. It turns out it is more source code than I expected. So Bazel is basically what builds the entire internet. It builds the entire internet that we have built the entire portion of the internet that we have built. So I hear, when I hear first heard about that, I was thinking it was more of a build tool, kind of like the CLI. But it also sounds like you might have hinted something there that it involves your artifacts, or more like an artifactory or NPM. So is it multiple tools like that? It hits multiple areas, replaces multiple things? So internally, we don't need NPM. And it feels like it's replacing NPM because we don't have package management. And we don't have version management and nothing. We have just one one repo. So we have one directory called Google 3, where like there is a bunch of stuff. There is, uh, let's say, search, Google Cloud, Angular is there, and a few other, like a lot of other things. So Bezo just knows how to assemble the individual applications by looking at this directory. But it's not just a task manager of hey, compile this TypeScript file, then this one or another one. It's actually managing the, the process of going through that, of doing the different build steps. But it also is smarter than that, that it knows dependencies, correct? It knows what? Dependencies. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, <coughs> the individual directories inside of this Google 3 directory, uh, they have build files, most of them. And these build files uh, determine the dependencies between these directories, which we call packages, uh, on other directories somewhere else inside of this Google 3 monorepo. And uh, basically, based on this information, based on the information in the, inside of the build files, Bazel can build the so-called dependency graph, and it can calculate what is going to be the optimal algorithm to build some specific target, let's say to build Angular, for example. And uh, it does a lot of cool things. Yesterday, I even figured out that uh, Bezo has much more in common with Bitcoin than I expected, because they're maintaining the, the same data structure internally. It does a lot of cool things. 
and it does them really fast. You've been hanging out with Leo again, haven't you? Can we can we expect a Minko coin soon? <laughs> if uh, well, pro let's see. Maybe today is Angular San Francisco, so I don't know what we're going to come up with. So it's this build tool, right? You kind of going over that. Um, is it similar to like other things that are out there? Lance mentioned like the CLI and things like that. Like, uh, or what? What makes it stand out? What makes it different? Like, what are the the cool features about this? Yeah. So the CLI currently provides some specific interface for developers to build their Angular applications, not only to build them but also to generate some directives, some components, modules, lazy routes, for example. That's something that we're working on. Uh, with Bazel, Bazel could be the builder that Angular CLI internally uses in order to figure out what are the individual steps that needs to be executed in order to get our development, our, our source code into the disk directory. And uh, it does this, again, it is going to do it in a similar way. It is going to analyze a bunch of build files. It is going to build this abstract build graph. And by analyzing and, and by just executing the individual nodes, let's say, in this build graph, it is going to produce the disk directory. So Bezo is just build software. It is not platform dependent, for example. It is not language dependent compared to, uh, let's say, uh, well, for example, Webpack has some intersection with Bezo, although they're different. Webpack does, does a lot of things. It does not only bundling right now, but it tries to take care of our entire build process. Bezo does not know anything about bundling. It only knows how to execute different tasks that we have instructed it to execute. And it delegates this execution to another tools. For example, if we want to get uh, a single production bundle, we're going to delegate this to either Webpack or Rollup. Uh, it does not manage dependencies in any way. And So is it like Gulp or Grunt then? Are we, are we, like are we winding back? <laughs> it looks a little bit like Gulp. Uh, with the difference that it has more advanced algorithm for building the optimal, <laughs> it, it has more advanced algorithm for building the um, application in the most optimal way. It has incrementality, and it is platform agnostic, so it's not coupled to JavaScript. We can do anything with it. Actually, JavaScript is only a small portion of what we're using Bazel for internally. We're building Java, C++, Go. And so is the concept that you're somebody is writing these like build tasks or these little elements, like you have to go and kind of script it or do something for each of those steps. Is that would that be correct? Yeah. Basically for each uh, for example, if you're building a very simple to-do application, because everyone builds to-do applications, uh, there you're going to have a to-do app uh, build target, and it is going to be it is going to depend on the let's say the to-do service. So you're going to say that in order to build this application, I want to build the to-do service, and I want to build the to-dos component and the to-do component. And after that, once we combine these assets, we want to produce one file called app.js, let's say, or bundle.js. And Bazel knows how to find these files. It knows what tools it needs to run in order to compile them from TypeScript to JavaScript, let's say. It knows how to process the styles, because we have instructed it how to do that. And it knows what are the inputs and the outputs of each task, which is the most important thing. That's why Bazel can do so, so many advanced optimizations. And so you mentioned so so is Babel, so, do, so does Babel, or not Babel? Bazel. Bazel. 
Babel, whatever the hell B, it's called. B star. Does, <laughs> does this thing, um, is it static code analysis or is it runtime or both? It doesn't know, yeah, it even doesn't know anything about the source code. So it doesn't analyze the source code at all. It just analyzes uh, the builds, the build instructions that we have gave, gave to, to, to it in the build files. What's up with this secret Starlark code thing? Oh. Yeah, this. Are you gonna are you gonna show us this? The Starlark thing. It's Starlark super secret. Yeah, when I yeah when I joined and they started talking about the Starlark and Skywark and well, things, it turns out it is just a simplified Python, like very simplified Python. So everything, any, like basically all you need to know. In Star in Star Skywark is that you can invoke functions and you can pass named parameters. That's pretty much it. I, hate I think if we, I think we should have like a secret decoder ring for Starlark, and then like all the cool kids will have like the secret decoder ring, like from when from when we were kids. Yeah. So this sounds like a really cool technology within Google. Is it ready for the rest of us, or is this only a Google thing for the really cool kids in Google? So it's not necessary for everyone, um, although we are planning to make it more accessible for everyone. Currently, it's, it builds really well everything in Google, but we, of course, it doesn't have stuff in mind such as version management, because we don't have NPM internally. We don't have uh, any registry of managing dependencies. Everything has a single version. So this is a problem that we are, we are we actually figure out. We are just implementing it right now. Um, and also another cool thing in Google is that we're building everything from source. So you're not going to download Angular, which is already bundled and pre-compiled, like nothing. You don't need to do this at all. We're just going to, if Bezos has to do, uh, has to do your, the build of your application the way that we're doing that internally, it will first have to download Angular. It has to compile Angular, but in order to compile Angular, it needs to compile the TypeScript compiler. So it is going to compile a TypeScript compiler. After that, it is going to compile Angular. But after that, it needs to compile your development server, which is written in Go. In order to compile the development server written in Go, it needs to compile the Go compiler. In order to compile the Go compiler, it needs to compile a lot of other things. So this is how it works internally at Google, and this is how it is not going to work externally. And uh, we are working on making this happen right now. So that sounds. I have like a lot of. Look, hold on, hold on, hold on. I have pictures. <laughs> yeah, that's how I was trying. That sounds like a whole lot of processing. So if I were to create my Google to do app inside of there, and I wanted to go through all of that process to have all that, that seems like a lot of processing to recompile everything. I'm assuming it doesn't actually go through and reprocess those compilations every time for every dependency. Internally, it doesn't. Yes. Externally, it's not going to do that either. Uh, internally, it doesn't do that because uh, we use different levels of caching. So first, everything is built. Almost nothing is actually, there are quite like very powerful workstations with a lot of processing power. But I, I haven't run almost anything on my machine so far. Basically, the build is being executed in the cloud. So we tell to Bezo execute, like build our Angular application. And this is going to do all of this inside of the cloud, and it is going to with very high level parallelism. So everything is going to happen simultaneously, basically. 
And uh, also it is going to use caching. So the cool thing is that you can reuse the build cache between the different team members or even between the entire organization. So for example, if uh, Austin has built Angular before, and when I, when I want to build my Angular application, I'm going to reuse the artifacts that are produced by the build that Austin already did. So I don't have to rebuild anything from scratch. And when your build is being shared, when your cache is being shared between, I don't know, like 50, 70,000 engineers, you really don't have to build that much. You just need to reuse what they have built already before you. Is it basically like you're crowdsourcing your builds? Yeah, kind of, yeah. So this gives you motivation to go later to work so that your colleagues have built already whatever you're supposed to build. <laughs> so I, I have a, an interesting question going back on something else you said. You mentioned in your the to-do example that the to-do application knows that it depends on the to-do service. But you also said that Bazel doesn't really know anything about the different language tools. So what mechanism does it go through to discover that dependency? Yeah, uh, usually instead of, so uh, these, so there are a few ways. Uh, first, without having any, having any extra tools, you can write these dependencies on hand in your build files. So in your build files, you can just have this duplication of imports, basically. What you have in your application, you can say, uh, instead of build files, well, see my to-do application depends on the to-do service and on the to-do's component. And this way, Bazel is going to figure this out. But basically, we are going to have this duplication of uh, this dependence graph, both in our application and in our build configuration, which is redundant. So what we are doing is that uh, we're using a tool called TSL to dep, uh, which basically analyzes the TypeScript of your application and generates these, these files automatically. So we are using a tool on top of Bazel in order to generate the build files automatically and not generate them from scratch, like not, not write them from scratch every time. So potentially, assuming the integration of Bazel with the CLI, the people using the CLI wouldn't need to know anything about those dependency files and they could or automatically be created to be able to build the dependency graph for us? Yeah, in the CLI, there are two options. The first option for small applications, small applications, I mean, 100,000 lines of code should be all right. This option is just to have a single build file which lists all the different files in your project. And so we run the TypeScript compiler and the TypeScript compiler is already pretty fast. So we should be able to handle 100,000 lines of code. And we have only a single compiler, a single instance of the compiler running, a single build file, so there is pretty much zero configuration. With bigger applications, let's say over 2 million lines of code, these build files should be more, you know, because we need to build our application in different modules. We don't want to build 1 million or 2 million lines of code like, with, in a single module, because this is going to take a lot of time, and this is going to be built in a single process. So in these cases, we can um, use auto-generation of build files in order to explicitly list the dependencies between the individual packages in the application, between the individual modules of the application. And then Bazel is going to be able to do its job well. It is going to start multiple processes for each individual package, and uh, it is going to 
basically build them in parallel. So how does, um, how does Bazel provide benefits for us building our applications when we build at scale? Or, you know, you mentioned 2 million lines of code, or what if we have multiple, you know, you mentioned Bazel supports different types of, of builds, JavaScript, you know, Go, all this sort of stuff. When we have multiple applications in what we may consider our platform of apps and services and all that stuff, like how does Bazel come into play to, to help that process? Yeah, it helps, uh, so it helps in a lot of ways. Uh, if you are a, Let's say Java developer, you don't have to know anything about Webpack and you don't have to know about webpack.config.js. You're just going to run Bazel build three dots, dot, 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 and you're going to build both the front end and the back end. And if you're a JavaScript, if you're a JavaScript developer, you don't have to know about Maven or whatever, or Ant or whatever build to our team is using. All you need to know about is Bazel again. So you need to know about Bazel build dot, dot, dots, and that's it. So it simplifies the tooling overhead, actually, because it provides unified interface for any platform. And if you're using Kangaroo CLI, you can always use ng-build, of course, as well. Uh, for uh, On top of this, it is going to make everything faster, because our project, our huge project, is going to be divided into small modules, which are, let's say, about a thousand lines of code each or less and uh, we will be able to and this way we will be able to uh, find the dependencies between these smaller parts of the project we're going to we will be able to see which of them can be run in parallel and while well, we're going to just build them on different cpus on different cores of our machine or if we have only eight cores we can just run the build inside of the cloud, in the cloud where the build can scale much faster if we need to do that. It's likely that we will not have to do that, but it depends on our scale. So I totally see the whole parallel thing making, getting a lot of time back, right? And, and a lot of optimization there in, the, in that build process. What are some things that come into play in order for that to be sustainable or for that to actually happen? Like, are there needs for, for these build scenarios that, that have to be in place in order for that to be pulled off? Uh, you mean any, any pre-requirements to do that or? Like conceptually, like, like how would two things, I mean, is that the dependency graph come into play on that? So it has knowledge of, oh, well, this thing can't be built in parallel with this thing because they rely on one another. Like, how does that unfold? And oh, what okay. are the are, do we need to be thinking about anything in terms of that? To, to oh, I see. No, we don't have to think about it. Well, in some cases, if our build is extremely slow, we may need to look at the build graph to see what are its dependencies and why things are that slow. It's very likely that we would not have to do that, but well, in some very rare scenarios, maybe 0.1% of the cases, we may have to do that. The cool thing is that the build graph can be queried. So we have, there is a query language which allows you to look at the graph and see why there are dependencies between two different packages. So you can do that and you can visualize it. Actually, there are some very like massive graphs that you can visualize sometimes with thousands of different packages if you're in a big project. But it's really, it's really very convenient to Profile your build and see why is it slow and why and how it can get faster if you hit this 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 scenario. And it's also fun to see why you have dependencies between two different 
uh, modules. So this can be even used for speeding up your application. You can think that two modules are built are uh, like in separate lazy loaded, uh, like two piece, two files are in separate lazy loaded modules, but it may turn out that there is an implicit dependency between them. So you can even figure stuff uh, like this out with Bazel. So and how would Bazel handle circular dependencies? Renato uh, wants to know. Yeah, it doesn't handle them. It's it, You cannot have circular dependencies. It's going to throw an error. So, and the, there are build encyclopedias. So there's, uh, when we started using TypeScript, we had like type files like for all the popular things. So there's like build encyclopedias already out there for like Android or iPhone or like Java, different things that we can like download configurations for whatever we want to use. Uh, you mean um, whether you can, how you can build your Android applications, for example, with Bazel or? Right, like like there would be like an Angular schematic for Bazel or there would be schematics for other languages so that you oh. have all this. So we're not starting from scratch. Like we just can pick out the tools that we want to use. Yeah, uh, there are tools for building native mobile applications with Bazel already. Uh, I, I, I don't think they have adopted schematics, but they for sure have some very uh, descriptive documentation. But schematics, this might be a good idea for them to to let us quick bootstrap uh, Android applications faster. Um, but the schematic is already there, right? Because you sent me that that article today, so that's already out there, and yeah. you guys are just basically polishing it. And so if we if we go out and start using Bazel today, then probably we might find a couple little things that are not quite perfect yet. But then we, you guys are like in the process of like making it really nice and streamlined and polished so that it's going to work for all the use cases. Yes, we are working. Yeah, we have basic integration with the CLI now, and we're trying to make it work better now. It's uh, really, we released it last month around Christmas, and uh, we are trying to make it work better and faster. So currently, it does not provide the same development experience as Angular CLI, of course, with Webpack, and it may never will. We'll see. It may make sense to be introduced only for big projects. It may not make sense to be introduced for small projects. We're in the process of figuring it out. Or we could just be the early adopters because it's cool, and we'll just be like the first ones using Bazel, and and it might we have to might uh, be a little patient while we work out the kinks. But yeah, cool uh, kids. Yeah, feedback will be great, greatly appreciated actually. And uh, we did some profiling. It turns out that Bazel performs really good for small projects as well. So it's only a matter of a couple of months, I guess, work to make it. Uh, to make the development experience the way that we want it to be. I feel like with the people working on Bazel and as long as uh, as much work has already gone into Bazel at this point, like it's coming, it's happening. And so it's good to jump on that, uh, that early adopter bandwagon and go ahead and start using it. And then if you do have use cases where you're trying to do something kind of tricky and advanced and it's not working, then you come back to the Bazel team nicely and like work together to figure out, you know, what's going on and then maybe you can open a PR and get that, uh, that in there and, and help yeah. faster for everybody else. Yeah, the Bazel team. It seems, yeah. It seems like like uh, like Renato was asking about circular dependencies and and there's all these different situations that you can go where you have to compile this, but it needs this and this is not compiled. Like like you guys have spent so much time working through all those problems that it's going to be like super universal for all these different languages to be uh, to be living in harmony. I think it's awesome. Hey Miko, I have a request for you. Yes. So you 
you do such a great job with describing some of this terminology we have out there. Uh, we had you on, we talked about performance and you helped us understand memoization, right? And that term, right? One thing that we see, uh, or I notice, and I think other people do with Basil, we hear this term hermetically. Can you kind of describe what that is and help, help us yeah. enlighten us? I actually like talking about this because you can see the same patterns everywhere. So you can see uh, functional programming everywhere. Um, well, pretty much everywhere. Yes, I saw it a few times today. So uh, with functional programming, the cool concept there is that we have pure functions. And these pure functions, they do not provide, they do not perform side effects. So they're not going to touch any global state, like not going to touch window and other property or whatever. With Bazel, we have pretty much the same. So with Bazel, we have one task, which let's say is compile JavaScript. And we know that it only accepts some files and it produces the compiled files. It produces, it, it, it accepts TypeScript files and it produces JavaScript files and type definitions. But in the meantime, this, this task here, this rule, it is not going to do anything else. It is not going to write content on the disk or it is not going to go to the network and like check what's the weather or anything. It's, it's just going to do this, this one thing. And it is pretty much the same as a pure function. Like it is a pure function. It is supposed to be a pure function. It should accept some inputs and return outputs. And this is uh, why the build is hermetic. And the cool thing about uh, this property is that we know that if we pass the same inputs to our build rule, it is going to produce the same outputs. So if we pass the same inputs that we have already passed in the past, we can directly reuse the outputs that we have gotten the previous time. So we have this memoization there as well, this, this caching. And the way that Bezo checks whether uh, we have passed the exact same content is by uh, using by, by hashing the files. So it is not going to check the files byte by byte. It, it is going to get the hash sum of all the files, and it is going to check whether they are the same, whether the hash sum is the same as uh, the previous one. And if it is the same, it is just going to reuse the files which are already stored on the disks from on the disk from the previous computation. And uh, yeah, this this has amazing effects. The first one is of course the caching. The second one is that we can uh, well. This is, there are a few main things in functional programming. The one is pure, like having pure functions, and the second one is having immutable data structures. We know that uh, since the build files, since the build rules, they cannot, they are going to produce always the same uh, output with the same input, uh, and they're not going to touch, they're not going to communicate with any of the other rules. We can eventually even calculate when it is convenient to run them in parallel or even run them in the cloud. So just by following this functional programming paradigm, we can do very fancy things. And similarly, like the functions, we can just compose the different builds. Like composability is very important uh, property in functional programming as well. Yeah, I get the sense that that's really at the heart of the power of Bazel, right? It is understanding that concept and what that brings to the table. And then like you said, how it opens the door for all these possibilities, right? Yeah. Parallel caching, just just all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I really like the parallel between the idea of memoization and memory from a pure function standpoint to the remote caching side of uh, caching your build process through Bazel because the same thing, same input, same outputs is the same conceptually, just on a local manner with memoization and memory versus uh, 
uh, remote caching uh, yeah. on different servers across the build. So just because Bazel does support remote caching and building across many, many different machines at the same time to be able to offload uh, different processing powers, it doesn't necessarily need to, correct? Yeah. Yeah, and sometimes it doesn't make sense because of network latency. But the one benefit that just me as myself as a developer uh, uh, building something locally is that while JavaScript and most of the compilers uh, for JavaScript are single-threaded, even on my machine, Bazel would be able to distribute across multiple processes and threads um, on my own machine, correct? Yeah. Not on your machine, Mike. Everybody else's machine except yours. Yeah, I shouldn't have bought the single-thread model, but I... It saved me some bucks. Now we're, we're so, diving down to the metal, right? Yeah. So what options are available for doing the remote caching? Is it just with Google Cloud, or can we use Azure or AWS? What are kind of the options there? Yeah, anything. Uh, which the remote caching protocol went, goes through HTTP. So Nginx put somewhere is going to work. So you could have it on-prem as well? Yeah. Sweet. Um, the, the only thing which needs to be considered when, if introducing remote caching is that the machine should be very close to you because the network latency may have big build, like big impact on top of your build. Gotcha. There was a really good question in the chat from James Cleary. Uh, he said, with respect to NX monorepos, can Bazel build apps in parallel if they have a common dependency on a lib from the same monorepo, or will those apps build run Builds run sequentially. It probably can. It, if we take a look at the build graph, we can decide uh, if Bazel is going to perform topological sort and it is going to figure out which dependencies it needs to build first. So it is going to first build the common dependency. And after that, it is going to build the two different targets in parallel, probably. It's and it's going to handle all that under the hood. Like you don't even have to worry about what it needs where. Yeah, yeah, you don't have to worry about anything. You have configured it once, and with the static structure that it sees, it can figure this out automatically. That's beautiful. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, yeah, it's it's cool. The Basil team did a great job. Yay, Basil team. Yeah, they're pretty awesome. So who who built that? Uh, well, it's I think it's it, it, it was built a lot of years ago. Uh, but internally, it has different name. It Sergey. is called Base, and for at least for more than ten years, it has been running the builds of the entire Google. So, well, except two projects, I guess. But so, is there anyone in, that we know in the Angular community? Like, we can go and say, "Hey, you're working on this awesome Basil thing. We can uh, buy you a beer, or we should just buy you a beer and be like, hey, Miko, thanks for Basil.'" Well, if you're going to buy me a beer, I'm not going to tell you if it's working on Basil. <laughs> OK, so all the beers for the Basil team go to Minko. <laughs> uh, actually, yeah, the Basil team, it's distributed. There are people yeah, in different offices. And there are, it's, like, it's a big project, and it has big impact. So there are different teams who are working on, which are working on different pieces. We're working on the JavaScript part, on TypeScript, Node.js, Angular, integration with Bazel. There is there are other teams who are working on other things. Uh, Chaos Monster says you have Martin Probst. He's working uh, on TypeScript, yeah. That's awesome. So let's say I have a monorepo in my company, right? 
and we have several libraries and applications and different teams are working on different stuff and and they want to just work on their one little piece maybe a, a chunk in this library and rebuild stuff like like what are the benefits there when i'm in that type of scenario what, what does basil give me in terms of like incremental builds or anything like that yeah the incrementality helps it is going to rebuild only the files which has changed and the files which depends on them and it is going to do that by looking at the hash sums. There is a great data structure, Merkle tree that it is going to reuse internally. Uh, and that's that's the biggest benefit you get. <clears throat> also, everything is being persisted on the disk. So by default, without remote caching, Bazel is going to still cache everything, but it is going to be cached on your machine. And the difference is that nobody else in the team is going to uh, will be able to reuse your cache. But yeah, incrementality is probably uh, most of the tools are incremental. TSC is incremental as well. Uh, Bazel does one optimization on top of uh, TSC. So Bazel is going to start for a large application. Bazel is going to start multiple different processes. This means that if you have an application which is 1 million lines of code and you divide it into uh, four different parts, 250,000 lines of code each, Bazel is going to start four compilers, four ESC compilers, which are going to run all the time in parallel. And once we change any of these big pieces, Bazel is going to just instruct one of these running compilers to rebuild the change. So you have incrementality from both Bazel and TSC this way. That's pretty crazy. It's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's cool. It works great internally also. It does a lot of caching. Yeah. So how does that work with CI tools? Is there any CI tool that you've seen that is used more commonly than others, or is it just completely agnostic to CI tools? Yeah, it's agnostic. We have been using it with, in, with internal CI. We have been using it with uh, Circle CI and with Travis as well. Awesome. And the cool thing is that your CI can populate the cache, the remote cache, and after that you can just reuse the artifacts that the CI, the CI has produced for you. With remote caching, the, the cache can be shared between CI, between different team members. Maybe even different projects, right? Different projects if they have common dependencies, yeah. Yep. So Very cool. Where would that be configured? Is that um, a Bazel configuration to basically allocate machines and Bazel decides how it's going to distribute that processing um, and that caching across those different machines? Do you basically say, hey, here's a list of what's available to you, go do your thing? Or is it more specific than that? Uh, for remote caching, you specify one server where you want the build to be cached. And there, if you want, you can make even more fancy things with remote proxies so you can distribute, distribute it among more machines if it's a big load. With remote build execution, you just provide a host, and uh, you know, on this host, um, well, there is a build farm. Which build farm can do all the fancy load balancing properly? Okay, and so that that's how that works distributedly. What about locally? Is the cache uh, persisted to disk, or is it just in memory? So is it going to keep uh, process running, or is it uh, saved on the disk? Yeah, saves everything on disk. 
And so, so, it's a, so it's a long-term cache, not just a short-term, uh, hey, yeah, I compiled, and then you come back the next day, and it's like, oh, no, I need to rebuild those 4 million lines of code. Yeah. Yeah, you don't have to rebuild. Yeah, the, as soon as your dependencies do not change, you don't have to rebuild them every time. It's, it's very convenient, yeah. I'm going to run and go update my projects. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's actually a good question. Like, what's the process for upgrading a project? So you can get started with Bazel today, kind of on a new project basis. But what's that upgrade path going to kind of look like? So yeah, there are. So currently, we uh, our schematics, uh, you can use them in order to create a new uh, Bazel project. Uh, with, if you want to create, if you want to migrate your existing project, probably you have to learn more about how you can configure your builds and uh, write the existing build files. So yeah, we otherwise have all the rules required. We have rules for building TypeScript projects. We have rules for SAS, and so we have a way to bundle your application. As far as I remember, we also have a way to distribute uh, lazy loaded modules. So all of this should work. The only inconvenience is that you should go through the manual process of update, creating the build files and duplicating the actual imports inside of a source code, which is kind of unnecessary work. And we don't want to um, keep this going in future. Hey, Minko, everyone's asking in the YouTube chat. And I am uh, curious, too. Do you have time for a quick like CLI Hello World thing? I'm not, kind of, of, uh, I'm not a big fan of actually of uh, live demos. I can share a repository after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a so so there's an article, right? Um, there's an article you sent me, uh, Basil Schematics, on your blog, and then there's also a Medium article um, about like basically just like working through the kinks and getting it all working. So with your blog article and with the Medium article, we can tweet both of those out, and they can put those together and get it working. Yes, probably, yes. If not now, in a few weeks, it should be easy. Uh, we were cleaning up some issues. So when I wrote my when, when I wrote the blog post, I even didn't share it in social media because it was it wasn't intended for a while. I I'm gonna actually I'm I'm because I'm pretty excited about Basil and I'm like nerding out over this because I think it's gonna be really cool. Uh, so I'm actually gonna put together a talk um, and do a demo of Basil. But before I do that, I probably will come to you with questions to make sure my demo works yeah. before I try to like do it on YouTube because I know everybody wants to see it working. Uh, and so I'm going to do that um, probably pretty soon. I'm going to try and take the articles and put it all together and then do it live on YouTube. But um, I might need your help to get it yeah. all to get it all working. Oh, we have to help. But in general, it's not going to look much different compared to building an application right now. If you have an application with just 10,000 lines of code. You're going to type Bazel build, and Bazel is going to build the application. And there is going to be the output directory, and that's it, which is going to be pretty much the same as running any other like Go build or npm run build and doing everything with scripts or bash scripts. So it's for a small application, it's not going to make any difference. I just want to do it for the bragging rights. Just yeah, for yeah. a cool point. You know, be like, hey, I got it working. Yeah, you should definitely do that. And yeah, I'll just take a look at the code and the slides. I, I, I meant for the live demo. So if I make a live demo right now, it's not going to be mind blowing. It's It'll just be like, okay, it works and it just looks just like it normally would. And then it, 
goes 92% chunk, op chunk optimization and then, yeah. Sits there for a minute or yeah. two and. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've got a question. So Wait, are you asking Renato's question or your own question? Renato has okay. good questions, though. Yeah, right. but the, but we, Mike we, first. Mike we first. agreed with those who are already answered, so we're good. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> um, my question, and, and I know that we've talked about a lot of great things that Basil does, and I'm kind of asking for more. And well, not not asking for more, but hoping it did one other step. So while it does all these uh, build processes and what have you, um, there's still some stuff that's not necessarily necessarily build or compilation that go, runs through a build process that I was wondering if Basil handled specifically the idea of moving other files around of, hey, I've gone ahead and I've compiled this. Does it then move it to output? Can potentially do deployments or anything else along those lines? I'm not asking necessarily like to add that functionality, but I wasn't sure if there was any mechanism in there to run additional processes in correlation to builds. You're so demanding, Mike. <laughs> I, I just didn't know if, it, if we would then once utilizing Bazel as part of our build process, whether or not the orchestration of the other aspects of build and organization for deployment are considered as part of Bazel, or if that would just be another tool that would then drive Bazel as part of its functionality. Come on, Mike, you know you want to Bazel all the things, right? I mean, that's what you're getting at, right? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I know this is really cool, but how much cooler can you make it, Minko? Incremental deployment. <laughs> <laughs> It needs more emojis. That's hands down. So uh, yeah, with, with Skylark, you can basically create anything. You can invoke any any other tool and do anything you want. The the only unknown is whether this is going to be runnable in the cloud. Like whether you will be able to execute it remotely and whether you will be able to execute it in parallel with other tasks with other rules. So but, if yeah, you can make anything there, with Skylark, you can make emojis with Skylark. So are there any resources out there about Skylark aside from Bonnie's excitement? There should be probably some documentation on bazel.build. Okay. And also, can you let them know we would like secret decoder rings, please? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so, a logo. Is there a logo? Is there a Skylark logo? Like. We need to like shoot it in the sky with a light, like the Superman, like the Batman logo. I know about the, well, I guess they're using the Basil logo. The Basil logo is pretty cool, right? So hold on, pump break. Like, what is this Skylark thing? Did like, what is this? What are we talking about here for everybody like me? Yeah. <laughs> uh, with Skylark, you can create your own custom Basil rules. And uh, basically, the basal rules there are you don't have to implement bundling with Skylark. You're just going to invoke rollup, and that's it. So, Skylark rules they're pretty short. They're just delegating the execution to other tools. And Bazel does not aim to replace what is built already there. We want to reuse all the amazing tools in the JavaScript ecosystem, like Webpack and rollup and Uglyfy or any other cool build tool, any other cool tool or out there. All right. And my notes say Skylark is an extension language for Bazel, an extension model, uh, a subset of Python, which is super familiar for a lot of developers and very supposedly easy to learn. I've heard, uh, I haven't actually learned it yet. And it's supposed to be super simple 
and future-proof and restrictive so that everybody's writing their uh, configuration the same way. Yeah, very accurate, yeah. You cannot do fancy things. For example, you'll not be able to delete your file system with Skywark, or you cannot even run a uh, for loop there. You have this comprehension, but you cannot run a for loop. It, it's restricted in order to make sure that your build runs fast and it does not do things which are not necessary. And it looks like this? Yeah, that's how I invoke a rule. Yeah, that's the general. That's That would be an example of Skylark, except that's, yeah, that's my handwriting. And this, you know why it's so colorful? Because I spend way too much time with the littlest dev. <laughs> and she makes me use colored pens. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, that's good to hear because like, I, I was highly concerned that it came out of like Cyberdyne Systems from T2 or something. And like, I don't know, it was a scary name. So that's good to hear. That's why I threw in the whole secret decoder ring. So we could be like, it's like futuristic, like a secret language for the cool kids. But actually it's basically just like Python. But, yeah. but it sounds cooler if it's got like a secret, you know, club thing. Simpler than Python. Yeah. Nice, nice. All right, well, we're getting to the top of the hour. Anything else that we want to add to this Bazel discussion? Oh, um, somebody asked, why would we want to use this? Because it's awesome. Actually, yeah. Mike had a good question. He said, if someone asks why you should use Bazel, you should refer them to this episode of Angular Air, because um, I think this whole, this whole episode kind of. Yeah, we can make a recap of everything we said. So first, it's incremental, so it is going to build only what has changed. It is universal built also, you can use it across all the different languages that you want. Uh, it handles all your dependencies. Sorry? It handles all your dependencies. Yeah. Well, it's, you need to specify the dependencies explicitly, but it will be able to figure out the dependency graph and build everything as quickly as possible. And you will not have to figure out migration strategy when your project starts to scale and becomes larger and larger. And you have to wait like four minutes for incremental build, let's say. Like, see, add a semicolon, and after that, wait for, go for coffee, and your browser refreshes just when you're back. <laughs> hey, I have one more question. Uh, for the early adopters, for anyone who's going to go out there and go ahead and try to use Bazel now and see you know, how they work, uh, is there a specific place that we should go for questions if we have, like, Kind of an advanced um, features that we're trying to do, uh, you know, kind of weird use cases, or should we just all email you <laughs> or tweet at you? I guess that's going to be the easiest, actually. <laughs> I didn't want to say that, but yes. Is there a there's a is there a Slack channel or uh, there's like... a Slack channel? But the easiest will be for uh, yeah, first get in touch with me, and after that, depending on your question, I can either help or uh, get you in touch with the. Okay, so if you right. you have a question, if you want to use Basil, if because it's really great for people to go out and start using it and, and go ahead and you know check it out and uh, and if you do get stuck, then try to reproduce it maybe in a in a stack blitz and then send a link to uh, Minko and Minko, your Twitter is I I mean I never look it up anymore because I have it, but your Twitter is Twitter is just your name, right? Pretty much, yeah, and get you. But yeah, Stackbridge is not going to work most likely. You should just create a repository on GitHub. I was wondering about that. I was like, can you use Bazel in a Stackbridge? How would that? Okay. No. Yeah, just let's just uh, we'll edit that out later. Don't worry. Yeah, <laughs> Look at Justin. 
That's it. That's okay, Justin's oh, not going yeah. to edit that out. Justin has a lot of like little secrets, and one of his secrets is when he says, "Yeah, sure, we'll edit that out." That's that's like him being like, "That's never gonna happen." <laughs> well, there was that one episode. <laughs> I'm, I'm just I'm just trying to get to picks here. I mean, it's it's hard enough just to get to the picks part, you know. All right, let's 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 do that, and let's wrap it up. Who has picks? If who has picks, raise your hand, and then I'm gonna memorize that. And I'm gonna go down the line here. Okay. All right, so let's start with Alyssa. Alyssa, go for it. <laughs> uh, so I am, of course, my job is the developer advocate for the Angular side of Kendo UI, and we recently did our R1 release. And so um, what I'm going to put in the tweet about our show notes is just a link to all of our features for Kendo UI, not only in Angular, but in all of our uh, frameworks and products across the board. So that's my book. Awesome. Thank you. All right, Austin, I didn't see your hand up. My, both mine and yours were down, so no picks for us. Okay, Bonnie? Uh, I actually have two, so I'll do it real quick. Uh, one, I found this great article I tweeted out and I sent uh, uh, Alyssa a link to. Uh, Zach DeRose. So I had a client who wanted me to implement a CDK table and virtual scrolling all in the same, and it was kind of tricky. And I found a really great article uh, with some pretty cool stuff. Zach DeRose, uh, which is Zach D.E. Rose on Twitter. Uh, he's pretty cool, and that was a great article. And then also, uh, Lance, is it this? This it's tomorrow. Uh, we're gonna do Correct. a remote Saint uh, Saint Louis Angular meetup, uh, the uh, future of Angular in 2019, and uh, that will be live streamed. So uh, that's pretty cool too. So check that out. Yeah, and that's a reboot of the St. Louis Angular Meetup. Uh, my company, uh, Oasis Digital, and specifically Paul Spears, has taken that over. And so it's kind of a reboot with a new crowd. And so if you're in the St. Louis area in the future, you can check that out for evening Angular goodness. Very cool. All right, I just started thinking about other people's picks, so I, I kind of forgot who raised their hand. So I'm just going to keep going down the line. So Brian, do you have some picks? Yeah, sure. Um, my pick is uh, Angular Denver. So we're actually opening up our CFP on the 28th of January. So if you're interested in coming out to Denver and speaking, we'd love to have you. Uh, it should be a great conference. We're going to expand it to two days, and uh, it's going to be awesome. So come on out and, and join us. Denver is you, so much fun. Brian, are you going to do live demos this year? You know, Austin, just for you, I think I might, actually, you know. <laughs> Hey, hey. Austin, you should go back. You should visit us in the Angular community because we haven't seen you in forever. Yeah, Denver's great. I grew up there. Hey, are you, are you going to have people presenting at Red Rocks? That'd be pretty dope. Oh, dude. I don't think we can afford <laughs> running on Red Rocks. is a little expensive and might be a little uh, larger than the a venue than we need. Um, but last year, we held it right downtown. We're probably going to do it at a similar location, if not the same. So, What is this um, Red Rocks that you speak of? Like oh, Everyone's saying it. Like It's a popular. It's a huge concert venue. It's probably one of the best concert venues I've ever been to. It's beautiful. It sounds amazing. I don't know. I think it seats like 20,000 or something. It's massive. Um, so it's a natural uh, rock formation, Alyssa, yep. that they made into because it has like this natural acoustics up in the mountains. So it's like yeah. an outdoor yeah. amphitheater kind of thing. Massive, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. They made it into an amphitheater because of the natural acoustics. It's it's epic. It uh, sounds yeah. like Red Rocks is one of our picks for today. <laughs> there you and go. That's my, pick. that's my pick. I claim it. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good pick. Yeah, it's that just, is a good pick. 
it says it's like the base of the Rockies. And then you look at when you sit in the stands, you look out on the plains. Yeah, it's you like, can see the city sprawl yeah. out and every I mean, it's beautiful. I it's can't just, believe there's actually an outdoor amphitheater that can fit 20,000. That's oh, yeah. Don't quote, don't quote me on that. I mean, I know it's huge. <laughs> Mike says we move on. Time to move on. Rocky. All right, Kyler, you got a pick? Yeah, so my pick is a book called What If by Randall Monroe. It's basically just like a series of scientific answers to really absurd hypothetical questions. It's uh, it's kind of a nerdy pick, but it's really awesome. I find it it's a lot of fun to read, kind of funny answers sometimes. What's it called again? What If. That sounds really cool. I come up with some pretty absurd questions in my head. I, I'd love to have them answered. Me and my husband have submitted a couple to that because <laughs> we've read all of them. <laughs> it's really awesome. Awesome. All right, Lance. I have two picks. Uh, one is that two days ago, version seven of NGRX came out and they have really continued their embrace and adoption of uh, RxJS operators moving some things into operators that were functions before, so there's some breaking changes. But they've also added a lot of nice little utilities. And my second pick is that on Saturday, I'll be speaking at the St. Louis DevFest. It's one of the DevFest series that Google has been sponsoring. And actually, uh, I kind of cajoled a lot of people on my team to submit, and six of us were selected, so they gave us a whole track, so that we're going to have an Angular-specific track there, including my boss giving a talk on uh, Angular with Bazel. So uh, those videos should all be up soon, and uh, we'll be able to add to the Angular community that way. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thanks. Yes, very cool, very cool. All right, Mike? Good to go. You said you were going to go across the screen. I thought I was going to be first, not last. Well, you're um, always first on your own screen, but <laughs> sorry. Am I? I got to learn hangouts better. Um, I just made that up. I don't know. <laughs> don't oh, know. Okay. <laughs> um, Ionic 4 was released today. Um, so that's out of oh, RC. And actually, it's funny because Mike Hardington just wrote me on Slack that I should totally pick that. And But I had already mentioned it earlier in the chat that I was going to pick that. But yes, Ionic 4 was released today. So if you were hesitant in checking it out because it wasn't in final release, it was still in uh, beta or RC, um, go check it out. Final release was today. I'm hesitant to check it out because I don't want to give Mike Hardington the satisfaction. <laughs> That's fair. You know, we, we have an episode upcoming where he'll be on talking about that. So We do. Oh, you should be nice we do. And <laughs> I actually just did, like an hour before this show, I did a show with him on Adventures in Angular. But those are like oh, nice. two to three week releases behind. So our show might come out first. It's a race. <laughs> Very cool. Cool. Hey, Minko, how's it going? It's been a long time since we talked. <laughs> yeah, pick? yeah, I have one pick. It relates to build systems again, why not? Uh, so it is build system or card. It describes different build systems starting from Make, Bezo, and a few others. And in the end, it builds, they built a new build system with uh, Haskell. So it's a fun article to explore. It describes the theoretical foundation really well. It's kind of hard to read, hard, so don't get discouraged. It's, it's tough. All right, very cool, very cool. All right. Well, that's it for our show today. Uh, I want to thank Kyler and um, 
Sorry, Kyler and Lance for joining us today uh, and, and doing this. Angie Houston and Bonnie for making this happen for the joint thing. So thank you too and for coming on. Don't forget B Love. Oh yeah, and Brian Love. Sorry, Brian Love. Too. Yeah, absolutely. Man, happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you, yeah, Bonnie. This is great. Yeah. Yep. So, Thanks for having us. Thank all three of you. And of course, thank our guest, Minko, for joining us once again and sharing his knowledge with us. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks for all the time and everybody have a good one and see you next time. Later.